Look out, Villanova. The Delaware Blue Hens are coming for you. This, as you could probably guess from that, is Jonathan Fagan with you, as always, with Danielle Lerner. The NCAA tournament brackets are out. And yes, everybody is talking about the triumphant return of the Blue Hens. We will talk about the tournament, but also the Rockets. Uh, well, that was an interesting week last week. A uh, couple wins, beat a really, really famous team, beat a really good team, and some really bad losses. So, you know, maybe that's improvement. Ups and downs at least include ups. But I don't know. I, after Sunday night in New Orleans, I'm not so sure that they're going to feel like that was an up week. What do you think, Danielle? Well, I think what's notable about what's happening now is like it's the same that we've seen all season, right? It's not a regression necessarily, but because it is so up and down, as you said, it sometimes feels after coming off of a high, like a win over the Lakers, going back to playing like they did in New Orleans the other night, which is what we've seen, you know, consistently week to week all season at some point feels, I think, like more of a stark contrast when you really look at it. It's, it's not that different. This team has showed us who they are, that they don't really take care of the ball. Um, they don't defend particularly well. And that was kind of more of the same. Right. And I think mixing in blowouts with the wins, as opposed to a few weeks ago where they didn't get wins, the, the losing streak reached 12 games, but they played well in some of those losses the three losses last week were just terrible. Uh, Miami, Dallas, and then New Orleans without basically three starters, two throughout the year. Obviously, Zion Williamson has not played this year, but their two leading scorers didn't play. And the Rockets still got down 29 in the first three quarters. And to me, that, that was just terrible. What terrible performance. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess it'd be better to be look at the bright side since we last visited on the Texas Sports Nation podcast. They beat the Lakers and it was not just a win. It was the young guys, which is what I think fans would want and do want most is, OK, it's good if you win because you get a really good game out of Eric Gordon. But you kind of like it when it's a 32 point game out of Jalen Green, when it's 19 points. And, and I think it was. Uh, it was definitely double-figure rebounds out of Alper and Shingun when Josh Christopher had 21. All right, that's all right, you can build around that. It, it just seems like a all of a sudden, one month left in the season seems like a long slog to get to the postseason and the draft lottery. Yeah, and I mean, I think you're right that at this point, people are just like, you know, we know the guys who are going to be the future of this franchise. It is the the rookies and the younger guys, and they get most excited about seeing those guys go off and seeing those guys do well. And I think what was special about the Laker game was, you know, we've seen flashes of brilliance from Jalen Green, you know, consistently pretty much over his the last 15, 20 games or so. But for him to have a big night on the same night that Josh and Shangun did, like seeing all of that converge at once, I think is rewarding. And that is probably more what the Rockets front office is excited about. You know, and I'm glad you brought that up because that is a bright side. Uh, and we talk about it every week, but it has continued. Jalen Green's development continues throughout the year to where now he's finding more opportunities as a playmaker, where he, he's using his quickness, getting in the lane and setting up teammates 
Uh, that has something that has developed his ability to read the defense. And I did the story about the Rockets adding more mid-range shooting, which basically has been Jalen Green is adding more mid-range shooting. It's because he's reading the defense. And so if a team is in drop coverage with the big man going back and protecting the rim, he's using his quickness, getting past his guy or using the screen, getting past his guy, and then taking that mid-range jumper. And he's been really efficient at it. You know, last week, at the before the New Orleans game, it was 60%, a little better, little better than 60% he was hitting since the start of February on mid-range jumpers. And, you know, the Rockets still believe most in threes, layups and dunks, and free throws, although free throws have betrayed them all year. But still, they still believe a free throw is a good shot. That's why they call it free. But you get late in the game, you know, and it's you're up one, you're down two. You just need the ball in the basket. It doesn't matter what shot it is. So his ability to go get a high percentage shot, which he has made a mid-range jumper into a high percentage shot, that is part of the continued development of Jalen Green. I think that's something that we have to look for with Josh Christopher going forward too, because he has that in his bag and he did it consistently at at a high school level. But of course, that's a much different animal. Um, And he only had one year in college, you know, where, you know, Jalen had one year in the G League, slightly higher level of play. And Josh Christopher was injured for a lot of his one year at Arizona State. But I think that that's something, too, that Steven Silas has specifically emphasized with Christopher is that he wants his shot selection to get a little little bit better. He wants him to take better shots, whether that's threes, mid-range, whatever. He just wants him to be a little more discerning. And he's improved in that regard. And, you know, credit to him. He had a really bad stretch, you know, right before and right after the All-Star break. And he has turned that around to where he is playing well. And that's good when a guy can, okay, it's easy when things are going well. He's played well when things were going badly. And so that's encouraging too. And, you know, that's, I guess, going to have to be enough when you have performances like last night in New Orleans, where the Pelicans just played way, way harder. And, you know, that just shouldn't be. I know it's it's a hard, long season, but my gosh, you shouldn't have a team play that much harder. They've got a lot on the line, but, you know, they enjoyed, the Rockets enjoyed winning last week. They got to see, hey, this is kind of fun. Uh, maybe go all out after that. And maybe that'll happen because they had a day off on Monday. They have a, a real practice day on Tuesday because it was a super busy schedule, five and eight nights. So you, the practices you did get were more like walkthroughs. So now you can have a real practice. And then you got the best team in the NBA coming in. Even if Chris Paul is hurt, you have the Suns coming in. <clears throat> Perhaps the Rockets will approach that as they did the game against the Grizzlies and the game against the Lakers. And, and at home, bring the kind of energy that – I think ought to be automatic. You should, you should be able to assume do that. And yeah, maybe they can get something going in the last month of the year to where you can feel better than I would think they had to have felt last night in New Orleans. Yeah. And this Suns game it kicks off a four game homestand where Memphis is also coming back to town um, during that stretch, by the way. But then they have uh, the Pacers, which, you know, you would think would be a, a winnable game. Um, and then the Wizards, who they um, played really well against in Washington earlier this season. So, you know, it's it's not the, the most arduous stretch certainly coming up. And 
there was a stretch of the season where the Rockets really could not play well in Toyota Center, but I think some of their best games lately have been at home, whether in wins or in close losses. So I think this is a chance to both like rest up and practice, as you said, but also, you know, home court advantage is something that I feel like people will talk about being able to take for granted, but that has not been the case with the Rockets. Right. And although, you know, you're assuming the Grizzlies will come back, they might want no part of the Rockets. They might just go ahead and, uh, we're not, we're not even trying that one again. So they might say, you know, UH beat, beat Memphis the other day. So I think we're done. We'll just, we'll chalk it up to us being ahead in the city rivalry. Right. Oh, you know what? Speaking of Memphis, uh, they've got a guy who might be worth scouting. And so we promised this last week. We'll do it this week. Tournament brackets are out. The Rockets have two first round picks, their own, which they hope will be one of the first two or three, could be five or six, but obviously a lot of players in the tournament they're going to have to consider. And then they've got the Nets pick right now that's sitting at 16. Uh, if they don't make, <laughs> if they don't win in the play in games, it could move up a little bit. Uh, the draft order set after the play-in games. Not it doesn't use the uh, playoffs, but they it is not set before the play-in games. So the Nets pick could move up and be a little earlier. Or right now it's looking at sixteen. I would think they get a few more wins and it, it goes back to like eighteen, nineteen, maybe. A lot of guys to scout. If you are watching, and this is. The subject of my story tomorrow. So everybody go check it out. Uh, as you're listening to this, it's probably already going to be posted. Uh, scouting weekend of the NCAA tournament. If you are scouting for the Rockets, if right now Rafael Stone was to call into the podcast, I don't know if there's a way to do that, but if he was to find a way and say, you know what, Daniel, whoever you think I should take, who should I scout? What do you think? Chad Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Paolo Bancaro, Jane Nivey, who, who should he be paying his most attention to when the tournament starts Thursday? I mean, I think those are all solid picks. Um, one name I would add to that group since we mentioned Memphis is uh, Jalen Duran, uh, who's their freshman who's averaging like 12.2 points a game. And it's just like... You sure that's not the Memphis side of you? I, I think a little Memphis is coming out. You know, it's uh, I didn't I didn't cover him, so I can't you can't claim bias. Uh, I've only been watching him this season, but um, just his ability to to be a screener in just these little like two man pick and rolls um, with the point guard, which of course is something that we see the Rockets try try and do a lot. I think makes him stand out. But I think out of all of those guys, Chet Holmgren he he jumps off the page. I mean, he is he does things that <laughs> someone his size should not be able to do. He looks like a string bean. He looks like I could snap him in half, but then, you know, he's Euro stepping in transition. Uh, he's making deep, deep threes. Uh, he just has such a versatile skill set that I think, you know, the upside, which is, you know, a word scouts throw around a lot, but the upside there is kind of you can take him and, and almost like mold him into whatever you want him to be. Yeah. And I will admit that I, I do have Memphis in my list of games you should scout as, as a pseudo scout. So yeah, I agree that if the Rockets pick falls out of the top four or five, six, he, he's uh, well, four or five, he's a guy, he's in that mix to, to consider, you know, Chad Holmgren, 
it's a it's an interesting thing about him because at first glance you look at him and think, my gosh, this can't be the first pick of the draft. But with the Rockets, if they get the first pick, would they actually pass on the skinny seven footer two years in a row? And this guy's even skinnier and seven footier than Evan Mobley last year. And the thing about him, and I, I did mention this in the story, he plays with tremendous competitive energy. He's not just, well, you know, I'm seven one. I guess I'll be a basketball. No, he is a guy who's out there competing. Something that, you know, I've never reported. I don't know that people know. Rafael Stone in high school played against a seven foot six center, Sean Bradley. And back then, he, Bradley was extremely competitive, high energy, really, really, really tall guy. And I don't know that he, he maintained that. You know, I don't know that once he got to the NBA, I mean, he, he still had his moments, of course, and he, he did some good things, but I don't know that he played with fire. Like I described Chet Holmgren playing. I just think if the Rockets are looking, I mean, it's a hard choice. And that's only because Jabari Smith has so much potential. So I'd say, okay, scout Jabari. And if you, you scout Jabari Smith, you get to watch Walker Kessler as well who could be a guy to consider with the Nets pick and a pretty nice combination. Now you get a wing, Jabari Smith. Of course, it's better than nice because that means you're picking first or second. So the lottery was a success two years in a row. But because I don't think anyway, Jabari Smith falls past the second pick if he falls to the second pick. But that would be just a pretty nice combination because I do think we're at the point now do the Rockets need to consider fit, especially with that second pick, the Nets pick, where previously they haven't done any team building. Everything has been about just get the best players you can, develop them, evaluate them, and then later on you start to fit and build a team. Are they at the point now where you got a better idea of who your guys are? You, you drafted a center last year in Alperin Shingun, but not a real big, big, long rim protecting center. If they get a chance with the Nets pick to draft one of those, is that something they need to now say, okay, let's do. And again, is that something you, as our pseudo scout watching the tournament, need to consider? I think it is the point to start considering fit. And I almost think that some of the the trial and error that the Rockets have had over these last two seasons just with free agents or various, you know, veterans that they acquired and stuff like that, um, like Kelly Olynyk, Daniel Tice, if we're talking about the center position, those guys are not, you know, the same as getting someone like Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith, who's, you know, top two pick territory. But if you're looking at this type of player fitting next to Alperin Shangun, this type of player fitting next to Christian Wood, maybe, et cetera, um, I think that you have some case studies already. Now, Daniel Tice obviously fell out of the Rockets rotation. That's why they got rid of him, sent him back to Boston. Um, but does that mean that a Daniel Tice type player can't fit with the Rockets? I don't think so. I think they do need that type of kind of defensive anchor, someone who can protect the rim for sure. Um, offensively, I think Alperin Shingun is coming along really nicely. I think it's defensively where they would really need help down low. Right. And, and you know, you watch Jonas Valanciunas just beat, beat up the Rockets yesterday. 
you know, I know there's a line that you know, Joel Embiid is going to be Joel Embiid. Nikola Jokic is going to do what he does to anybody. But you don't have to turn every big, strong center into Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic or, you know, turn Jonas Valanciunas into Wilt Chamberlain. You need someone, I think, with either great length or great size and, and heft to him or both. Now, he's got to be able to play. He can't be just a big, you know, lumberjack in the middle. But, you know, so as you're watching, so let's say, Paolo Bancaro, and I'll ask what you think of him, but do you also watch Mark Williams as a guy? Kind of, a, maybe he's a combination of Robinson with the Knicks and Clint Capella, uh, the Duke center. Is he a guy? He looks like he can catch, which I think is an underrated skill in a, in a guy who's going to be doing rim running. That, you know, he's not going to, you're not going to run offense through him as you can with Alperin Shangun, but he can be a rim runner and, and a shot blocker, rim protector. Uh, is that what you need with that second pick? And, you know, kind of like the Jabari Smith, uh, Walker Kessler teammates. I was trying to think of the, the parlay or whatever. You can do that. You take Ben Carroll and Williams. What do you think of Ben Carroll? Is, is he worth the second, third or fourth pick or the first? I mean, maybe you love him. I think the the thing that stands out, and I will say for a former ACC beat writer, I did not watch the ACC almost at all this season. But um, the thing that stood out to me about Bancaro is actually his facilitating. Uh, he averaged something like three, maybe almost three. Hang on, I'm looking it up. 3.1 assists this season so far. So, I mean, that's pretty good. And that's also because, you know, Duke tends to just play through their best player. That's how they do it. It doesn't matter what position that guy is. But when you look at the Rockets and you have Shingun who, you know, facilitates so well and he already plays that role, do you need someone else who does that? Not saying that that's all he can do, of course, but I don't know. It's almost like they're not super similar players to me, but they have similar enough strengths that I don't know that that's a uh, a fit that you would want. Right. And then the, I, I agree with you. And I haven't heard many people say that. I thought I was being clever for having that same opinion, but you beat me to it. You know, I watched one of the Syracuse games where, you know, Syracuse runs its zone and they ran Bancaro in the middle, kind of as the Rockets often do in their zone offense. And many teams do. And he was terrific as a passer. I think a lot of it will come down to how much confidence you have that he's going to be a three-point shooter, that he, he can be a, a spread the floor for. Because he shot 30 point something percent. I think it's 30.6% on threes. That's a little worrisome. Uh, but it's a good looking shot. He doesn't look like it's a broken shot at all. So do you have confidence that he can be enough of a shooter to be worth a top one, two or three pick? Or do you start thinking Jaden Ivey, Johnny Davis, especially Jaden Ivey? And that's a hard one because, okay, let's, again, if you're thinking team building at all, or maybe you're not, he's sort of a combo guard in the Kevin Porter Jr. mold. Do you, and for that matter, the Josh Christopher mold. Do, do you grab, now he's special. I mean, he, he could, I don't know, I, th I think probably Johnny Davis is a player 
more likely the player of the year than Jaden Ivey in college basketball, but Jaden Ivey would be the higher pick. I think the better prospect, would you grab him and figure it out later? I just think that Ivy is so exciting to watch. Some of the shots that he makes in crunch time and big games for, for Purdue are insane. They just give him the ball and let him go. He made one, I forget the game of theirs that I was watching the other day, I think against Michigan State. Um, this was before Selection Sunday. This was in the conference tournament where it came down in the wire. He made some shot where he was, he got fouled as he was shooting a fadeaway and banked it off the glass for an and one. And it was just like, how do you do that? And every single time they put the ball in his hands, he delivered in some way, whether it was getting to the line, getting a shot, um, making these insane swing passes to teammates for shots. So uh, I really like his game uh, for sure. Uh, I don't really know how to compare him to anyone else, but I, I'm high on Jaden Ivey. Yeah, I, I, I thought he looked terrific. And here's another guy. I think, you know, he didn't shoot threes badly, but I think he's going to get better and better. Um, and, you know, that's stepping aside from the pseudo scouts to the real scouts. I don't know how they do it. You know, when you're, you're, and maybe the answer is no, they often don't. That, you know, you can't, you, you get them wrong. That's just the nature of this business. But how do you forecast what a teenager is going to be? And, you know, and, you also have to know it's going to take years. You know, go back to, you look at the sons who come into town Wednesday, unquestionably the best team in the league. How many years did it take before Devin Booker had a winning season? And he's really, really good. You know, how do you forecast what he's become when he played such a, a smaller role in college? Uh, yet that's their job. That's what they got to do. And then the other thing, when you look at how much they suffered for so long and then think, uh, now look at them, you know, best record in the league by far. They they can lose Chris Paul and just keep on winning. Yeah, but it took years and years of terrible teams. The Bucks, the, the team that won the championship, they were horrible. And how do you, of course, a lot of teams got this wrong. Everybody got it wrong. But how do you look at Giannis Antetokounmpo? When he was the 15th pick and say, yeah, one of these days, he's going to be two-time MVP and an annual MVP candidate. And that's what you're trying to do. I, I don't know that anybody wins a championship anymore without a guy who's not a top five MVP candidate. And so now teams start to think they need two of those, you know, just or at least all NBA. I don't know how you look at any of these guys and say with any great confidence they're going to be that. Yeah, and I will say to plug my uh, my friend Miran Fader's book for a second. If you want to read um, her book, which is called Giannis, all about him and his upbringing and how you know the NBA scouted him and didn't scout him, it's fascinating um, for sure because there are so many stories of NBA execs who went all the way to Greece to watch him play and basically were like, meh, and, and obviously that turned out to be a poor decision. But yeah, it's all subjective and, and hindsight is twenty twenty in these situations. But like you mentioned, you know, Giannis and, and Booker, who no one could have projected maybe would have this big of a role at this point. But I feel like so often it happens in the reverse where you take these guys who are lottery picks and who were the stars in college 
And then it takes them longer than people would like for them to get acclimated and adjusted. And, you know, then I don't like throwing the word bust around because I think it's premature and places too much value on these projections as it is. But then you have people saying, oh, well, he hasn't done anything, you know, in his four years out of Duke or whatever. So, like, he's a bust. It's like, hmm, I don't know. I think circumstances play a little bit of a role. No, you're definitely right that the whole thinking has to change to the time it takes. And, you know, th- this is just drives me crazy. It is such a crapshoot. You can't look at the draft order and say, yeah, I know you took him four, but you could have had this guy who went seven. No, get it. it doesn't work like that. To me, you judge a draft was the guy, and especially a draft record of a front office over the years, were the players they took worth what they spent to get them. So if you take a guy at 14 and he's a, yeah, that's a good pick at 14. That guy's a starter. That guy's a starter on a good team. Well, that was a good pick then with the 14th pick. Oh yeah, but this guy went 21st. You could have had him and he's way better. No, it, it doesn't work like that. Did you get value for what you spent the pick? You know, and that's the thing going back to the Rockets. Jalen Green, we don't know yet what he's going to be. Is he going to be, you know, all NBA player? Is he going to be top five MVP candidate? You know, to where he's in that group, that would be a home run. If he becomes all that, that's fantastic. If he's an all-star, you did pretty good. You draft a guy and he becomes an all-star, you did really good. Um, Is he just going to be a solid starter and a good scorer for years and years? It's just too soon to know. You can see the makings of a lot of those things, even the really, really good things. And that's after 50 games into a season. So now try and think about it with these guys who've never played one NBA game. And that's what the Rockets will have to do. And that's why people need to do the job for them and start scouting Thursday morning. Got to get on that and really know who the Rockets should take. Before you do, though, the Rockets can't take anybody in the women's bracket. I know you're going to be covering a lot of that beginning this weekend. What should we look for? Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of Texas-based teams that have uh, a really strong shot, uh, namely Texas and Baylor, who are both number two seeds. Um, they are in separate regions, so no no chance of a rematch of the Big 12 title game, which Texas won, which was uh, semi-surprising. Baylor had won like 11 or 12 Big 12 uh, tournaments in a row uh, before Texas beat them yesterday and basically knocked Baylor off the one seed line. I think Baylor would have been a number one seed if they had not lost um, in the the tournament championship. But they're both number twos. I think Baylor is exceptional. Um, They're in their first year under head coach Nikki Collin. Uh, I just actually posted a story today all about her. Oh, I was going to set you up for that. You stepped on my line. I, I'm so sorry. I'm pumping my myself up uh, instead of letting you do it for me. But um, I had it ready on the tee. It's a great you know, story. It's People great. do need to check it out um, because you know everybody remembered all the years, and she's a hall. Kim Mulkey is a is a Hall of Famer and deservedly so. Doing a hell of a job at LSU this season, by the way. They're number three seed. Um, there is a chance they're in the same region as Texas, so there could be another Kim Mulkey versus Texas uh, in the, in the regional um, uh, at some point. So that would be interesting to watch. I think, you know, when I was in New Orleans, there was conversation of 
LSU has to be very careful about who they hire for the next men's coach because he has to be able to function and flourish in the shadow of Kim Mulkey. Wow. And she she has a strong personality. Uh, But isn't that something? And LSU men's basketball is not insignificant. Uh, But I heard that and I heard that several times. Now, it could be a little bit of groupthink there, but... I thought that was interesting. I also, I was surprised Baylor didn't get a number one seed. Should I have been? Uh, I mean, I think in, in literally until their loss in the conference championship, they would have been, um, but they were expected to win that. They had beaten Texas twice in the regular season, throttled them really. Um, but I think Vic Schaefer came out with a different game plan and said, okay, we're not getting spanked for a third time. And Rory Harmon, who is actually a Houston native, uh, she's a freshman for for Texas, was phenomenal. She actually got the uh, Big 12 um, Freshman of the Year and Big 12 Tournament MVP. So she's a player to watch for sure on the Longhorns. But, I mean, even outside of Texas, tons of exciting basketball. Stanford, the defending champs, their number one seed. Uh, Louisville, the team that, that I covered for years, um, probably playing their best defense uh, of head coach Jeff Walls' tenure. And uh, their number one seed, um, South Carolina is the overall number one. And of course, Don Staley, I, I would say, is another figure like Kim Mulkey, who kind of casts a very long shadow within women's basketball and, and de- deservedly so. So um, it'll be fun. Kentucky's good. Like there's I, I'm in the process of going through and selecting my bracket and picking my upsets. But I think there's going to be quite a few, honestly, even though it is pretty top heavy. Right. And then the men's bracket. It's pretty much all about can anybody beat the Delaware Blueheads? So, uh, you know, I, I I have to admit I can't. I have I'm too biased. I'm too biased. I, I, I can't. My Missouri Tigers uh, had had no such luck and then fired their head coach. So speaking of a team looking for a new coach, don't steal ours. <laughs> you know, that's all I can say. You know, I, I remember I did have. A t- uh, I was going to say work Mike Bray. It was the Delaware coach for a short time. And I met him, knew him a little bit when he was a uh, Duke assistant. And so I ended up having, just doing a workout with him in, in, during the ABCD camp uh, in New Jersey once and gave him lots of advice about and opinions about the Texas basketball teams. Cause he knew, you know, he probably wasn't going to stay at my alma mater forever, but he didn't win the championship at Delaware as could be this you know, they just got Villanova What is in the first round. What has Villanova ever won? So this this is the year. I mean, we ask the tough questions on this podcast. There you go. No one can beat them. But within a week, we'll have a better idea maybe of what the Rockets should do. Uh, maybe the Rockets can, to me, just play more consistently. You're not going to beat everybody. You're not going to win a majority of games. But you want to have a chance to win more of them. And that, to me, that would be a good goal between today's podcast and when we're back with you next Tuesday. Um, as you mentioned, there, there's some that they have some chance to win. Indiana coming into town. It's always good to see the best. And the Suns are certainly that this year. We'll talk about it all again next week. But until then, thank you, everyone, for joining us. On the Texas Sports Nation podcast for Danielle Lerner, I'm Jonathan Fagan. Thanks again for being with us. Talk to you next week.